Welcome to the Ins and Y'all podcast. Tonight we're talking Band of Brothers Part 5 Crossroads, starring Damian Lewis, Ron Livingston, Donnie Wahlberg, Scott Grimes, Michael Cudlitz, Dale Dye, Neil McDonough, Colin Hanks, David Schwimmer, and a slew of other guys, produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. And this episode is actually directed by Tom Hanks. Uh, got a lot of, uh, I say a lot, but I got some issues with the direction on this. I'm going to say that Tom Hanks is definitely a better actor than he is director, but we'll get into that here in just a minute. Let me give you guys the plot summary and we'll jump into the episode. Winners leads a risky mission on a Dutch dike resulting in a resounding victory for which he is promoted to battalion executive officer. Dissatisfied with his new largely administrative job, Winters is concerned about the leadership within the three companies he now commands. After a weekend pass to Paris, news arrives of a massive Axis effort in the Ardennes forest, threatening to break the Allied lines. Easy Company race in to hold the line, though ill-equipped for the bitterly cold weather and the entrenched battle ahead. All right, so once again, the episode kicks off with the vets talking, and we get a, a clip of Winters talking about leadership. And then we kind of get something a little different. Rather than talking about the battle, rather than talking about what you're about to see in this episode, we see the men talking about winners. And one of the main elements that they talk about is that they don't know how he survived, but he did. Um, did, what, did what did struck you guys about the vets talking this week? Well, I, I thought... Think, oh, go ahead, John. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought that the vets kind of reiterated a lot of the things that we've said in these uh, first four podcasts that, you know, one of them said that he was a real soldier. Uh, I think it was Popeye said he never thought of not being first or sending someone in his place. I don't know how he survived. So he was leading from the front and he even has a quote here in the beginning where he says, if you're a leader, you lead the way, not just on the easy ones. You take the tough ones too. And it's a perfect setup into his leadership in this episodes or in this episode and many episodes that we watch. When I um when I watched the beginning of this one, it was it was cool besides the replacement episode where they talk about a group of people um and, and their incorporation into the into the battalion. Um they all all the guys talking kind of centered around like winners like we're talking about here. So usually they're talking about a situation and kind of what they were encountering or what they were feeling going into a situation. Um, but now they're actually expressing how they feel about, you know, somebody who was leading them. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it was a, a bit of a different take uh, on the beginning that we've seen thus far. And I, I kind of liked it. it had a little bit, uh, a little bit more personal to it. Personal touch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I thought yeah. too. So the episode opens up with um, winners and he's running across a field and he kind of comes up onto a levee. And there's a, there's a German soldier there. And I really felt that they made a big point to show that this German was really young. I mean, he, he was a kid um, by all appearances to me, like 16 years old. He, he looked very young. Um, and, and Winters blows him away. And then we, we change dramatically right after that. And it opens up on October 17th, 1944. We're in Holland, and we see Winters um, kind of just staring out the window. And so we get already a, a look at how this episode is going to go as far as the direction goes. And I think that Tom Hanks made some kind of interesting directorial choices here. 
I don't really like them because we jump back and forth from past to present throughout the entire episode. And I thought that a lot of that jumping back and forth was, was unnecessary because there were times where we jumped back to the present for maybe just a minute scene of some dialogue and then it jumped back into the narration of the story and, and so forth. What did you guys think about how the episode flowed overall with that back and forth stuff? I didn't mind, um, but some of it was like a little much. Like they would show like a minute of the crossroads battle and what's going on. And then all of a sudden Winters is being interrupted by Nick's for a bacon sandwich or something like that. So there was some things like that where they were slowing it down, um, maybe to, to heighten the, the drama. And because, you know, I, I feel like the first time I ever watched these episodes, right, I didn't always know you know, for example, when they were talking about the opening, I don't know how he survived. You don't know that Winners has survived the first time you watch it through. And, um, you know, it's not until the end of the series where they tell you all the names of the gentlemen who have been speaking at the beginning. So I feel like it was purposely done to draw um, anxiety for the viewer to, you know, have more of an emotional interest because are they talking about somebody significant that we've been accustomed to the first five episodes dying in this particular episode yeah i just felt like it kept taking me pulling me back out of the episode um you know i i wanted to be invested with with winners and the guys at the crossroads i wanted to be invested in the battle and every time it pulled me back to the present it just really pulled me out of that mindset or that enjoyment of watching what was about to happen. And I just, I just didn't, and I didn't like that aspect of it, but. Um, yeah. I, I, don't, I didn't necessarily have a problem with that. And I mean, I'm a big fan of lost. So I guess I'm used to the flashbacks and the flash sideways and flash forwards and all that crazy stuff. It's Side definitely on. I'm watching lost again right now. But I'm used to watching stuff like that. But to me, this episode's about winners, and I think you get to see a lot of different things with winners. We get to see his leadership in combat. We get to see him in this new role struggling with the administrative side of the job and, and kind of entrusting other people to lead Easy Company and that struggle that he's having with letting go of that. So I think that's a lot of what this episode kind of hits on. And we've we've gone with we had the the episode of Blythe and we had the episode of replacements and really focused on characters that we weren't as invested in. And finally we get back to an episode that's invested in your main character with winners. And that to me is exciting enough to maybe look over some of the confusion. And I've seen it so many times. Maybe that's why when I watch it, I don't feel confused by the jumping around. But I don't remember when I watched it originally having been confused then either. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, don't, like, I don't mean because confused. we're back. <clears throat> Go ahead, Alex. No, I was just going to say, I don't mean I'm confused by it. I just mean it takes me out of the feeling I have being in the, in the ditch with the Easy Company men. And I don't, I don't, I wanted to, I just wanted to be in the ditch with them. I didn't want to keep jumping back to the present. But this show's not just about the combat. You know, this isn't a two hour movie where it's constant combat, 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 where you get five minute dialogue, you know. 
sessions. This is a 10 episode hour long per episode mini series. So it can't just be all the combat. They're going to have to fill it with, with these type of scenes where you get to know the men. So I, I didn't necessarily have a problem with it. And you, and you get to see the crossroads. It's not really a very long battle, uh, that it wouldn't be able to fill up an episode anyways. I was going to say, you know, I've, I've been pretty critical. The last two episodes were, you know, we're talking about different people that we hadn't met before. I liked the incorporation of the last episode a little bit more than the Blythe episode, but uh, yeah, I, I got to say that it was reassuring, um, you know, to get back to core characters that we're, we've been focused on since the beginning. Well, we, we see Winters. He, um, he's staring out a window and he, um, he wakes up Nixon cause they have to go to HQ for some orders and, and he wakes him up in probably most disgusting way I've ever seen in, in, film history he grab he grabs his he grabs nixon's night jar that he pees in at night and pours it all over his face and uh i just, I just thought that was disgusting <laughs> could you imagine that happening i don't think he knew i don't think he did on no he didn't know he didn't know i know that but it was still gross uh, you know he probably thought it was beer because nixon's always drinking it looked like beer at first Oh, it's and I mean, you know, in a day when there's no running water, I could just imagine like, how is he gonna get clean? That's just <laughs> that's disgusting. I <laughs> wondered how did Nixon, ways, but never like how, that. How, <laughs> I always wondered how did Nixon get cleaned up so quickly to get to HQ because he's you know he's looked yeah. perfectly fine when they roll in. Uh, maybe hopefully they had like a, a water basin or something at least he could wipe off. But anyway, uh, drunks they, always uh, have a trick or two. Oh man. So they head to HQ for orders, and um, they walk in there, and it's uh, you know all, all the brass are in there, the colonel's in there, and he you know he gets Nixon, he pulls over. Uh, we get a brief introduction to Lieutenant Heiliger, who is now the the apparently he's the new commander of Easy Company, and so we don't know yet that Nick uh, that Winters is not in charge of Easy Company anymore. So we're you know. We're already like, okay, what's going on here? And then, you know, he gives instructions to everybody. And then basically, Winters is just told, we need your reports. We need you to go write some reports. Um, he's largely ignored as far as combat planning goes in this scene. And it's real clear that he's not enjoying the paperwork side of, of whatever position he's now in that we don't know about yet. Um, and so we... We go back to the to the farmhouse that he's staying in, and we see him typing up what's called an after action report or an AAR. Um, I, like I said on other podcasts, I do a lot of war gaming, and guys like to do this when they play their war games. They type up what's called an AAR after action report, where they you know give us the story of how their game went, and it gives us a good combat story. And so that's what Winners is doing throughout this episode. He's typing up. Um, his report about the October 5th, 1944 operation, which is this battle here. So um, we go to the flashback. And, and I'm assuming, Alex, just like, yeah, just like, trying to learn. So do a lot of like medal awards come from those reports, like the brass yes. reviewing, things like that? So, cause that yeah. Makes sense. yeah. So there's very, you know, you, you hear of battlefield promotions, but they're very rare. Yeah. Um, normally they don't happen that often. Um, because, you know, for a battlefield promotion to happen, it's got to be 
from a high-ranking officer that is there to witness it. And generally, right. those, those guys that. aren't there. Right. Exactly. They're not there. Yeah. So you don't get these too often. And so when it comes to um, different battlefield recognition, be it medals, promotions, what have you, they come from these um, after-action reports, which are then you know brought up the chain of command. Then there's you know interviews, and there's all kinds of follow-up, and there's stuff that goes into it more than just the report. But the report is necessary. They also you know learn things from these reports. How did we function? Did we we make the right moves? Did you know did we do things correctly? What were some things that we did wrong? How can we learn from it? So there's all kinds of reasons for them to have these turned in, um, and so. Winter's just typing out this report, and so it flashes back to his memory as he's typing this, and they're in some sort of farmhouse somewhere. Um, they're all dirty, so you can tell that they're, they're on the front lines, and all of a sudden, uh, a group of men rush in with a, another guy who's been wounded, and they are, they're yelling for the doc, and there's a lot of confusion, and they say that it happened at the crossroads, and so Winter springs into action immediately. He assembles a squad for basically a recon mission. They're going to head out to the crossroad and see what's going on. How did this happen? Because there's not supposed to be Germans there. The Germans are supposed to be on the other side of the river. So um, Winters goes ahead with the, with this recon group, with this squad, which um, do you guys have any idea how many of this numbered? I mean, I, less than what, you know, 10, well, 15 guys. Yeah. I mean, I between think, 10 I and 15. In this episode you know i've been saying it every week you know hey i've been watching you know the uh, commentary episodes with the men of easy company in this episode i think by far had the best overall commentary associated with it and so there's a lot of great details that are shared about this battle via that discussion and so but yet you know only 12 it was a recon okay. group that, that made the assault all right so 12 guys so they head up, um, they, they move up along a ditch that runs along a road embankment, basically. And they're able to get pretty close to the crossroads by going through this ditch. And it's at night, so they are able to use the cover of darkness. And basically, Winters scouts the position, and then he gets the men in place to assault this uh, machine gun that the Germans have put up at, at the uh, crossroads. Um, and, you know, I think even, even though there was night fighting in World War II, even still, it was um, not as common as one would think. I mean, this is pre-night vision. Um, there's still all kinds of confusion, command confusion, battlefield confusion, um, and all this kind of stuff. And so night assaults are always risky. I think they're, they're risky even in today's modern combat, but especially back then when you don't have the, the technology that we now have. But Winters and the men are going to make a, a night assault on this machine gun, and they're going to take it out. And really, they're able to do so with minimal casualties. I think one man is killed during this, this night combat. And what we really see here is that Winters knows tactics. Um, he, he, he gets the guys set up properly. He tells them you know, which German to take out so that when they fire, that they don't all just shoot the same guy, that they shoot you know, most of the guys all at once. And I was really impressed with, um, with his leadership through this. What, what did you guys think about that initial combat scene? Well, this is something with winners that we haven't really had a chance since episode two to see him in a combat situation where I believe twice he crawls up ahead of the men alone to 
to scout out this this crossroads and he's able to decipher the situation very quickly come up with a plan and then implement that by directing his men into position and then like you said when they finally do get up into a firing position he's behind them and he and he's tapping each man on the shoulder telling them which german to take out and he tells them to wait for his command which if you flash back to episode two where Garnier did not wait for his command and, and fired on the Germans, it, it, it's kind of a change to me to see the, the respect these men now have for winners, that they are trusting him to put them in position to take this gun out and to survive. And uh, it, it's really impressive to see how someone can lead like he says at the beginning lead from the front not just on the easy ones and you know he, his men are down in that ditch when he crawls up to the road to scout these guys and just to to quickly diagnose the situation and come up with a with a plan it's it's very impressive Sean I thought the same thing um referencing back to when they're going after the big, the big guns in the second second episode yeah um but Garnier isn't there. He's in the he's in the infirmary right now. I think he eventually comes back because he goes AWOL from there. But it, that's just funny. But it's just it shows their respect even more because he's dealing with a ton of replacements on his battalion. So those guys don't have the the as much experience or exposure to winners, and they're you know all in on what his plan is. Yeah, I mean he's a, a fantastic uh, field commander and battle strategist. I mean, I think. Um, you know, that's what happens when he gets promoted later in this episode. And to Sean's point, his ability to synthesize the information that they need to do and figure out what they need to do to act is very impressive in this episode. Lance, in the commentary, did they mention anything about where Lieutenant Walsh was? Because whenever they are in that farmhouse and, and uh, Winters tells, you know, first platoon to gear up, he tells someone to send for Lieutenant Welsh, which he is the commander of 1st Platoon. So I'm obviously because he's not there, Winters uh, takes on that role. But I was just curious as to where Welsh was at. Yeah, so I mean, I think in the commentary section, like or one of the things Alex mentioned, you know, the Germans weren't supposed to be at those crossroads. So Winters took that group out to recon it and, and basically take a look at the situation. And he found that he couldn't leave because if they left, the, the Germans would be able to pick off at the flank of the 506. And I think, I think in the one of the next scenes of the battle, you see him telling uh, on the radio to have Harry bring up first platoon. So I think once Winters was in position, he didn't want to bring up more men in the middle of the night for fear of them drawing attention because, you know, it's definitely him reconning. And he says in the commentary that they had no idea how many Germans they were going up against. It was a shot in the dark. Um, and I know I'm going to wait to provide a little more insight on the battle because I know Alex probably has some, some notes he wants to share about the scene. Yeah, and I think just in regards to Lieutenant Welsh, um, Sean, you sent us a, a pretty good article that I read about this battle that, that really broke it down quite well. had some good maps. It had good pictures of what, what it looks like today. Very interesting article, um, and so when you, uh, if you can, maybe share that link on social media when you post post the episode. But um, it de- it described how Easy Company was really spread out. They didn't have enough men to defend the line properly, and so um, 
this farmhouse group was kind of like an advanced outpost just because they were so sp- spread so thin and it allowed the Germans to basically infiltrate their lines in different places. And this is exactly what happened at the crossroads. The Germans infiltrated the line. So I kind of got the picture that, you know, while Winters was up with the most advanced outpost, that Lieutenant Welsh was back with the majority of the company. So here you go again, seeing Winters taking on that leadership role and, and being out there with the most advanced uh, you know, front group of guys willing to, to, to respond if in the, in the case of an emergency, which they have. And so, it shows that he was, you know, that's where he wants to be. I yeah, think that that's exactly. important. And we see that throughout the episode or he's frustrated with when he's, you know, typing his reports, he wants to be in that first group because that's how he wants to lead. Yeah, I agree. That's a good point that he, he, he wants to lead from the front. front. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So we flash back uh, from this scene to the present now, and we see as he's typing his report that Nixon comes in for a drink um, and he tells Winters basically not to spend too much time on those AARs. Like it's not literature. He tells him it's not literature. Just just type it and get it done and move on with it. And then we flash back to the ditch. And one thing that we see here is that Winters, you know, I already said it, he really knows tactics. In fact, He's been looking at the map. He's been thinking about their position, and he knows exactly what the Germans should do. And I thought that this was just phenomenal on his part, that not only does he look at things and think, what do we need to do? But he thinks about what his opponents are doing and, and, and what they should do. And he tells him, he's like, look, if they can figure this out, all they have to do is move along the other side of the road where we can't see them and come up on our flank, and there, there's nothing we can do about it. We're sitting ducks. And he's like, and we can't retreat because we're out here in this open field. So if we get up out of this ditch, they're going to open fire on us and they're going to kill us as we retreat. And so he comes up with the conclusion that the only thing that we can do is a frontal assault. And so he gives an order that uh, it, it doesn't happen much in warfare, and that's to fix bayonets. I mean, this this happened probably in the Napoleonic Wars, but even in the Civil War, they, they didn't fix bayonets all that often. And I'm, I'm highly doubting by World War II that they, they did this hardly ever. But he decides that we've got to fix bayonets and we're going to charge across this field. And he tells them that I'm going to pop red smoke, and when we do so, we're going to charge across. Um, the men know it's dangerous. You can kind of see it in their faces that they know this isn't uh, what we want to do. And so Winters pops the smoke, and he throws the, the thing out there. And in, and in the, the show, in this episode, um, he starts off running by himself, and the smoke doesn't ignite right away. And he is just yards in front of his, his uh, soldiers. And so he, he gets to the Germans by himself, and his men are just way behind him. Now, I read in that article that Sean sent us that this – it didn't happen that way. He did end up there before all the rest of his soldiers, but that was not because the smoke failed to ignite. He just outran everybody. It was just, I guess, his adrenaline or the fact that he knew when to go because he was the one giving the order. But he got there before everybody, and he, st- he comes up on this, on this levee, and he just sees Germans everywhere. Um, and so he just opens fire by himself, um, shooting into these Germans. Now, I want to I kind of go back just a second before we get to that scene, and I want to talk about the shot of the men running across the field and, again, get into a little bit of the directorial stuff here. Um, did you notice that the guys, some of the guys appeared to be yelling? 
but all we hear are the sounds of them running. Did you guys notice that when you watched this episode? I I thought that it was probably an ode to something that Winters says in the in the commentary, and that's that he when he he found that he had outrun everybody and his speed everything went into slow motion for him and he didn't he just could he couldn't hear anything but he he saw everything and um, you know I, I wanted to provide just a little comment Alex like you said about setting up that battle because Winters comments on it in the commentary. And I, I wrote it down because it was pretty interesting uh, quote of his. And he said, they had the best position, the best men. They had the road. They had the dike. They had all those advantages, but that leadership did not take the initiative. Initiative. They could have wiped us out at any time they wanted They wanted to until we took the initiative. And Winters said of their position, there's only one way to defend it, and that is the charge. I could have said, I don't know what to do and hold the line. That is the guy who usually loses the battle. So take the initiative. That's, that's perfect, and that and that's that shows out to to what he did. And I mean, could you imagine being winners and coming up onto that road where he he kills the young German, and then when he turns right, there's like a hundred and fifty Germans just kind of sitting there in that field. Like, he described it as a duck shoot. Well, that's what it turns into, but like the urge to like turn around and jump back over to some cover would like would be immense because he has no cover. He just basically drops down on one knee and is firing them and firing at the Germans and no one ever shoots him. It's incredible. Yeah. And so this is – I want to talk about this part here because that stuck out to me. So Winters comes up on the road. He shoots this first initial German who has – it appears like he has no idea that Winters is there and that, the, that these soldiers are not anywhere nearby. He kills this guy, and then he turns, and like you said, he just starts shooting into all these Germans that are kind of look like they're just laying around in this field. Why are they surprised? I mean, they attacked them, you know, not that long before. And, I mean, there, I mean there's, no, there's no pickets. There's no – I mean, the, the Germans are just completely unprepared for this. Did, did that guy stri- – did that strike you guys at all, that, they were, that the Germans seemed to be so caught by surprise at this? Yeah, and I think part of it too is they film the scene in slow motion. I don't, I don't think that, you know, when he catches that guy by surprise, I don't think it's as long of a pause as the, the no, short I, film. No, 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 it's not. And, but I mean, when he turns and starts shooting into the like the, the like Sean's right, they're like all lounging around on the grass. Like none of them yeah, look like there was they no know century. that there's any guys anywhere around. Well, I think it's kind of goes back to what the quote that Lance read about winners. You know, came down to the leadership. I, I don't know if they just thought that that ta- attack that they received in the night was just they attacked us and they and they retreated in in the cover of darkness and that they didn't even know that the Americans were were down in that field in the dishes. I mean that that's that's kind of what I thought that they just had no idea that this company was even down there. Yeah, and they were just basically lounging, right? And yeah, they got I, caught I, by surprise, and it it it. it it was bad for them. I'd love to hear the story of this battle from the German perspective. You know, like if they have any, if you know, if somebody wrote an after-action report for them about this battle, because I'd love to know why they were not prepared. I agree. I think that you know, you're right, Sean. That maybe they thought this was a probe that hit our position in the night, and you know, it was a small group, so they pulled back, so they're not still there because that wouldn't make sense. You know, we have so many men. 
20, 12 guys or, you know, they didn't know how many there were, but they probably figured it was a small group. They're not going to hang around. Um, and so they just kind of are caught completely by surprise. In fact, it's easy takes out two companies of Germans. And I think at this time, you know, normally a company is about 100 men. I don't that and I, it, most of my knowledge comes from Civil War knowledge. So I don't know in World War Two what a what a company was was comprised of. But even if it's 100 men, you know, easy takes out two companies of Germans. And, um, you know, we find out later in this episode that Easy's down to like 65%, uh, you know, combat capacity. So they're already like way below their, their normal strength. Um, and so they take out all these, these Germans, winners calls in artillery, and then the Germans pull back. And then the German artillery starts dropping on Easy Company. And this is where Easy Company really takes most of its casualties in this battle. It's from the German artillery that they drops. Um, but the battle ends, Easy Company has, has, has won a resounding victory here, and we get kind of a shot of winners basically just sitting and staring at the field of victory, but he's really looking at this initial German um, that he shot. He's just kind of staring off at him, and I, it seems like this really affected him, or at least this episode wanted to play up that this this really affected him because we're going to keep getting pictures of that later. And then, um, you know, most of the Germans have retreated, but one guy is still shooting at, you know, a few that are running across the field. And um, Winters comes, comes over and snaps him out of it, and he tells him, I want you to escort the prisoners back to headquarters. And so the guy's like, all right, come on, you Germans, let's go. He gets kind of talking tough to him, and he says, hold on a second. He's like, I want you to unload your, your weapon. And he gives him one bullet. And he tells him, you can escort these prisoners back with one bullet. Um, what do you guys think about that particular scene? I would not have wanted that assignment. <laughs> Me no. neither. I mean, he took the bullets away because he, that guy seemed to be in like an aggressive person. Like, he was just popping off like crazy. But at the same time, like, if these guys jump me, what am I going to do? Like, even if I only have one bullet, you know what I right. mean? Like there's 11 of them or something, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And th apparently that is actually a true story that this particular guy, I think his name is leap got, um, he was a Jewish guy. So they already had that going on. Although, uh, I don't know that the concentration camp stuff was real widely known yet. Um, all that kind of stuff that was going on, but, you know, they, they did know that the, the Nazis hated the Jews. Um, and so this guy kind of had a mutual hate going for these guys. Um, and apparently he was pretty rough with prisoners or had a reputation of being rough with prisoners. So this is a true story. And uh, Winters made him escort these 11 prisoners back to headquarters with only one, with only one round. So uh, kind of interesting. Um, and then it kind of snaps us out of this, this time and goes back to the present. And it sees uh, Winters basically finishing up the report. And then it flashes back again, um, and, and Winter, we see Winters again just staring at this German kid that he killed. And uh, we see that he's saddened by the loss of the one man, and um, we see him offered command of 2nd Battalion. And basically that means he'll be in charge of not just Easy Company, but he'll have a total of three companies under his command. And, it, you know, the guy says, you're a good leader and a solid tactician, don't worry about administration. 
And I just thought that that was kind of a funny uh, statement considering what's going on in this episode that, that basically winners, you know, all of your other stuff overrides the fact of administration. That's the last thing you need to worry about. And really it's the hardest thing for winners. He, it, he, like Matt said, he wants to be at the front with the men. He wants to be a combat leader. And he's really having a hard time dealing with the paperwork side of things. If I could jump in here, Alex, I think there's a lot to to unwrap here in this, this ending part. I think with the winners uh, kind of staring out into the field focused on that German, I think it was more because that was like an intimate kill. It wasn't just you're shooting from your ditch to another ditch and, and you, you kill an enemy. Him and this German actually, you know, shared a second where they were just staring at each other when he shot him. And then uh, when he's kind of sitting there and Nixon comes up and uh, basically tells him, you know, 22 wounded and one killed. And he said, that's, that's uh, a pretty good trade-off because you got two full companies of SS and killed 50, 100 plus wounded, and, and you took seven prisoners. So that was not bad for Duke, man. And I don't know how Winters really responds to that. He just kind of hands Nick's his canteen and then walks away from him. So I don't know if that kind of perturbed him or if he didn't agree with that. Um, but I think it's just Winters doesn't like when he loses his men. He takes it very personally, as we saw in episode two with, with Hall, how hard he took the loss of Hall. Um, yeah. But Colonel Sink, when he does promote him, I think – he does a good job of understanding what he has in winners, right? By telling him, you know, you're a solid leader and a solid tactician. Don't worry about the paperwork. Because I think he knows that, that winners, you know, he's not a trained uh, officer. He didn't come from West Point. And this is definitely a, a big role, job to be put into. But he's letting him know that you're not put into this because of administrative stuff. You're put into this because of your leadership in combat. And I think he wants him to continue to be himself in that role. Yeah, I want to go back to what you talked about, how Winters responds with Nixon's comment about the trade-off for you know, your one man killed. And I agree. I think Winters takes every combat loss personally. Um, I think he, sees a, a, he has a sense of responsibilities for these men that goes beyond just, I'm your I'm your commanding officer. Um, he takes it. He takes it to heart. I mean, because he's ordering these men to do these things, and when they get killed, it's it's essentially it's on him. And I think he feels that loss for each one of them. That no matter how many Germans they killed, or the vet, whether they the battle was victorious, to me, I feel like he thinks it's not worth the loss of life that we have to suffer for this to happen. Um, they do it because it's necessary. They do it because they're soldiers, but I don't, I, I don't, you know, just the way Nixon kind of flippantly says, I'll take that for Dukeman. Basically like I'll trade that for Dukeman. I, I kind of get the feeling that winners wouldn't trade that for Dukeman, that he wouldn't trade any of this for any of his soldiers, that he, he, he'd rather this, <laughs> you know, none of this ha- even have to happen basically. Um, but it, but it is, and, and they're there. And if they're going to be there, then they might as well win. But, um, I, I feel like he, he takes it all very personally when he loses a man. 
All right, so then we we get back to the present, and um, we see uh, Nixon and Heiliger. Now they uh, Lieutenant Heiliger, who is now in charge of Easy Company, he comes in to talk with Winters about Easy Company's mission to rescue British paratroopers. It's called Operation Pegasus. Um, there's some there's some British paratroopers that are trapped behind enemy lines, and Easy Company is going on a rescue mission to bring them back. And you can see that Winters is really concerned about Easy Company. Um, he, he's kind of asking details, what, what the plan is, all this kind of stuff. And we're, we see here that I think Winters is having trouble letting go. He's, even though he's in command of three companies at this point, we don't see him interacting with any other company commanders. We don't see, we're not introduced to, we're not even told what other companies he's in charge of. We, still that he's, we see that he's still very much involved with Easy Company, that he has a bond with these guys that goes um, further than anything else. Um, and we see Easy Company go on the mission. It's successful. All the paratroopers are rescued. And um, we get this scene, basically, where... Um, Winters is stuck at a desk, and he's clearly unhappy. He, he, he wants to be with his men. He, if he could be going on this mission, I think he would be in hog heaven. That's where he'd rather be. And so the ending of this, this, kind of, this scene is that we see Easy Company celebrating the success of their mission. They're celebrating with the paratroopers. They're drinking some beers. They're having a good time. And Winters is across the road from them, and he can hear the celebrations He's looking out the window. He sees, he sees the lights on in the barn that they're celebrating in. And we get this sense very clearly that Winters is proud, but he's no longer one of them. What do you guys think about that kind of interaction there through that scene? I mean, for me, that was always like a sad moment for me watching the show because you, you realize that Winters has been promoted to a level that, that he's no longer a part of Easy Company. I mean, he is, but he's not. You know, he's not in it on the ground level anymore. But he does still really, truly have, you know, more care for Easy Company, rightfully so. You know, that's the company he came through. And he kind of shoots a little jab there at Nixon uh, before, you know, when Moose leaves and Nixon's about to leave, he asks Nixon... Is the intelligence any good for this one? They're not going to run into another company of Germans that we don't know about. So I yeah. thought that was kind of a shot at the intelligence, and I think we've seen that throughout the uh, first five episodes of they've got some poor intelligence and they've gone into combat not really knowing what, what it is they were up against. So I think that was just kind of him questioning, uh, you know, is our, is our recon any good? Yeah, and it's important to remember that, you know, he and Nixon are clearly best friends, and Nixon's the intelligence officer. So, um, so it is even maybe even more pointed jab at him than, um, than maybe Nixon's used to, because he, he kind of responds with, uh, well, we'll just ask him when he gets back, basically. Um, then we fast forward. It's uh, Halloween, October 31st, 44, and we see Winters and Lieutenant Heiliger and they're walking down some railroad tracks at night, which I don't know is, is the wisest thing. And, um, it, it, and I started thinking about this. And so at this point, we've had um, Sobel. We've had um, Mian. 
who was killed on D-Day, Winners, and now Heiliger. So uh, Easy Company has not been in the war five months at this point, and they're already on their fourth commander. And it, lo and behold, as they're walking by, Heiliger is shot by his own man. He's, he's shot by a sentry. And so uh, Easy Company loses their fourth commander um, either through uh, combat casualty or just promotion or demotion, so to speak, for, for Sobel. And it's amazing to see how they adjust. And we'll talk about that here in a minute as we get into their new commander, um, who we meet just briefly here in a, in a little bit. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, I just want to say, like, there's a couple moments that obviously there's a lot of night scenes in this in this episode. I mean, I think that when you're watching TV, sometimes you don't realize, like, it's lit so they can, like, get it on a you camera. You can see it, right. Yeah, right. I mean, we've all been out in the pitch black dark. Like, it's dark, and you can't see yeah. 10 feet in front of you. So, you know, it's not as bright, of, of course, as as you it appears. It's, obviously, that's for television. You know what I mean? So that's just, I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, and that's not, why I said I don't, every I don't HBO know. show films their episodes like Game of Thrones does towards the end of season eight with these dark scenes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think Alex, you said this a few minutes ago. It's a good point, the reason to point out why that soldier was so anxious and not that they just sit out there in the dark. It's because the Germans, because they were so stretched along that line, the Germans kept infiltrating their lines. And uh, Moose actually mentions it in the. Um, commentary he said i forgot he asked for the password and i forgot it and couldn't get it out fast enough and he, and he fired um and he said you know i got two holes in me for for the trouble that's interesting because they didn't they didn't put that in the episode it just looked like you know he was a jumpy sentry who just opened fire without without asking for the password and it kind of really again to me begs the question like why are they walking down this railroad track in the, in the dark like that? You know, I mean, they're just asking for something to happen. Um, and so then we kind of get a good scene where we meet Doc. And, and you know, he's been kind of in and out of episodes here and there. But it's, become, it's going to become important here because he's going to play a major role here in the, I believe, in the next episode. But he, he really has a, a big scene here. And he chews out Lieutenant Welsh and Winters because they don't know how much morphine that they gave Heiliger. And he tells them, you know, you're grown-ups, you're officers, you ought to know this stuff. Um, I like and so that. I thought that was a good scene. Like, he, he, you know, he doesn't care that they outrank him. He doesn't care that, um, that they're in charge. When it comes to, to treating wounded men, he's in charge. And he gives the orders, and they're supposed to obey them and do what he asks them to do. And so I thought that was was a cool scene for him to to really stand up and be counted and say, you know, you're you should know these things. You guys are grown ups, you're educated men, you're officers, and you don't know how much morphine you gave this guy. And morphine can kill somebody. So I thought that was a cool scene for for Doc. Um, yeah, and I don't know, like trying to read into that scene, their lack of response to Doc was it the respect they have for him or the embarrassment that they felt upon themselves for, for knowing that they didn't do their job correctly. Uh, what do you guys think on that? Cause he does have a relationship with the doc whenever he was wounded and, and doc patched him up in the Blythe episode. You could tell that they were friends. Yeah. Um, 
I, I kind of got that they were embarrassed, honestly. I mean, yeah, me too. I, you know, I, I didn't feel like that they took it as insubordination or anything. I mean, that's anytime you're in that, you know, the the training and stuff takes over in combat situations, you know, following the chain of command, following orders. That's why you have all this training. But that's a very different situation. That's a different kind of stress. We're into life-saving mode at that point. And orders and chain of command go out the window in a, in a in that kind of moment. And I, I just felt like they were embarrassed that they didn't take the proper precautions. I mean, you know, cause he basically said, you're lucky he's a big guy or you'd have killed him basically. And I think that that, you know, that kind of hits home for those two guys. Like we, we didn't follow instructions. We didn't do what we needed to do. We, we could have killed this guy, our friend, you know? Um, so we fast forward. Now it's December the 10th. And we're introduced uh, to Easy Company's fifth new commander in less than six months, basically, here, um, since they've jumped into Normandy. And um, we hear that Easy Company's at 65% strength, and most of those are replacements, and that the new CEO is called, his name is Lieutenant Dyke. Um, and we see that Winters is concerned. He's concerned about Easy Company, he's concerned about their leadership. Um, you know, he's concerned about their strength. So he's, well, he he's make, still worried about them. And he makes the comment that the only thing that's holding Easy Company together right now is the NCOs. Yep. Yeah, and, and I think he's thankful for that. And, and, and he realizes it, you know. They've, this, again, this is their fifth commander in six months. So, you know, anytime that they even begin to form any sort of relationship with a company commander, he's removed through whatever circumstances. And I, and I want to kind of rewind the episode just a little bit to when Winters and Heiliger are walking down that railroad. They're actually talking about this. And Heiliger says, you know, you're the only company commander that the men, were un, that were, that the men served under in combat. So if you think about Sobel, they were, they were never in combat with Sobel. Lieutenant Meehan was killed on D-Day, so they never were in combat with him. And then Heiliger... You know, he conducts the rescue mission, but never, there's never any combat that went on. And he's taken out before they even get into combat with him. So the only person that they've had as a combat leader is Winters. And that's going to come into play here when, with this new guy um, because they're about to go into some major combat. And so the NCOs are going to be really important. And this is when we get a scene where uh, Bill Garnier comes back from the hospital. He says he goes AWOL because he didn't want to get transferred to a different company. And we find out that basically he had a motorcycle wreck, that he went joyriding <laughs> on a motorcycle. And so we see that Easy Company is, has an affinity for motorcycles, apparently, because we saw in an earlier episode where uh, Malarkey and another guy uh, were joyriding on a motorcycle and almost got, got in trouble with that. So... Um, he uh on the motorcycle alex i guess that they were supposed to be going everywhere on their lines on foot and it was he's he said in the commentary it was just such a far walk and i was tired of it and somebody had left a motorcycle sitting right there and so i hopped on it and then um i was you know riding to where i wanted to be and artillery fire came in and blew blew up the road where i was riding and i got thrown off the bike oh. and it landed on me and i broke my leg oh wow well, it's funny that uh, that in the episode, Winters called it joyriding. 
So <laughs> made it made it, made it sound like he was just uh, having a good time, but he was actually trying to get to his position without like, having. He to was kind of joyriding. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he was. I don't know where he was going, but he was just like, "Yeah, I just took this bike, and all of a sudden, artillery fire came. You know, started going off, and I ended up uh, on the ground with the bike on top of me somehow." Yeah, and you actually see that he's he's got quite the limp, so he's not fully healed. Um, and so uh, Garnier checks out as, after asking about Lulu's, and uh, you know we're going to find out that that's going to come into play here in the uh, in the next episode, whether he made it to Lulu's or not. Um, and so Nixon and Welsh are, are looking looking at each other, and they kind of give each other the nod. And they tell uh, they tell winners that uh, he's he's got a weekend pass to Paris. That basically um, everything's kind of quiet, and all the other high command is off uh, at various places. And so you need a vacation. You need a break. You need to get off the front lines. And so they send him to Paris. And they you know Paris has been liberated at this point. It was under Nazi control as the Allied front moved through France. They've liberated Paris. And it's just crowded with GIs. I mean, there's soldiers everywhere, and they're from all different armed force, armed services, different countries. All these guys are everywhere. But in the midst of all these guys, um, I feel like Winter spends a lonely weekend in Paris. We don't see him talk to anybody. We don't see him really interact with anybody. Um, in fact, I don't think that he speaks a word in the whole time that he's in Paris in the scenes that we see. Did you guys notice that he never talked to anybody? Yeah, I think it was an in- intentionally done you to see he just it feels so sad and and he's alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he's not in Paris to to chase after women. He he's not in Paris to chase after drink and he's really unable to to relax or or find a level of peace, you know, I'm sure you'll get into it, but he has, you know, about with PTSD and yep. this, and it's just not what Welsh and Nixon would have probably thought that they were sending him to get. I just don't think that's really his personality. I think for him, yeah. he would have probably had more rest staying on, uh, staying back and just, losing himself in his work because i think that's just the kind of guy that he is yeah and i mean you, you harken back to one of the earlier episodes when um sobel comes up with this false deal of, of punishing nixon and he tells him hey just accept the punishment you, you stay on the base on the weekends anyway so you don't need your weekend pass and that's when uh winners decides well i'll just take the court martial you know it's it because he wants to make a point right and so we see then, even then, Winters doesn't really go anywhere. You know, he, he, he's not there to have a good time. He's not in Europe to sightsee. Um, he's there to do a job and go home. And, you know, whereas, you know, Nixon or Welsh, they would have loved to have a weekend in Paris. They would have gotten drunk. They'd have been chasing women. They'd have been, you know, in fact, uh, Nixon even tells him, I'm heading back to Aldborn to look up a certain young lady that I met while we were there, basically. Um, Winters is just all about, the work all about the business and so he is he just spends a lonely weekend and we do see this him he's suffering from ptsd um he gets on the subway and he sees a kid on the subway that that reminds him of the german kid he shot at the crossroads 
and he he you know flashes back to that and this this german kid's looking at him or this uh, french kid on the subway is looking at him and he's just seeing this german kid and so we get a good um kind of an interesting take on ptsd there and we just kind of see uh there's different shots where winters is just wandering paris but he's not really seeing anything we the viewer are we see the eiffel tower we see notre dame um we see all these you know the river Seine. We see all these just landmark things, but Winters isn't seeing it. He's just kind of ambling through the streets uh, of Paris. And then we see him kind of get into a hot bath, and that's when he's finally able to relax. I mean, he just, the, 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 just the deep breath that he lets out as he sinks into that hot water, to me, is just you know significant of him letting go of all the tension and the fear and the anger and, and everything that he's endured basically since they dropped into Normandy, that he's finally able to kind of let it all go. Um, did you guys get that same take from, from those scenes? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I literally have a note here that says, cut to a scene of winners in a hot bath. You get your first look of him finding some sense of relaxation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we, uh, we get back to the front and we see Easy Companies watching a movie, which is, uh, we've seen this kind of scene already. Um, so it appears like a lot of times in their downtime, they were shown movies. And uh, we see that Malarkey's won a bunch of money playing craps. And, and I do remember this story from the book. That's a true story. He won a ton of money, like thousands of dollars playing craps. And uh, ended up, I think he ended up losing all of it. In this, in the, I, in the looked, true story, I looked ahead, it up, Lance. Alex. He said that he was up six grand in the show, and uh, I looked it up and adjusted for inflation. That would have been ninety two thousand dollars today. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, so that is a true story, but I don't, I don't remember that it was quite that much. I think it was, it was still several thousand, but I don't think it was quite six grand. And then I think he lost it all, actually, if I remember right from the book. But it's been a long time. When the run. gambler's curse. Yeah. Um, and then we also get a good shot that Lieutenant Compton's back. He, you know, remember he got shot um, early on in our, um, Operation Market Garden, shot through his uh, right in the butt. Um, and he's back, but he's not the same. He's not the same guy before he was wounded. In fact, you can see he's, he's, he's struggling. He, I mean, mentally, he's having a hard time. I mean, they're watching a movie. Winters is trying to talk to him. Um, he's, he can, he doesn't even hear them. He barely answers them. Um, and so, you know, winners has a right to be concerned. He's probably happy that, you know, Compton was going to be back. I think he probably has confidence in Lieutenant Welsh, but Compton's not the same guy before he got shot. So, uh, while they're there watching the movie, the guy brass marches in and says you know we've got to we've got to move out immediately all weekend passes are canceled um that the germans are have broken through in the ardennes forest and we're heading out and so they're getting ready to leave and we're already getting an idea of the new lieutenant that we get the comment that nobody can find him everybody's been looking for him all day nobody knows where he is um and that the the men are already calling him foxhole norman so this doesn't bode well for Easy Company on the eve of Bastogne and the and the Ardennes Forest um, and the Battle of the Bulge. And finally, Lieutenant Dyke shows up um, 
and he's complaining that basically their um, their CO isn't back from his leave, and that they're ready to go into battle, and their CO's not back. And Winters makes the comment that you've got a bigger problem. You're going into a winter situation, and your men don't have proper gear, and they don't have ammunition. And he tells them, you know, you should take a canvas of the base and scrounge up everything you can, or have you already done that? And Lieutenant Dyke kind of looks real chastised and acts like, well, no, I haven't. And so he just tells the other officers to go hmm. and do it and just report back to me. And so we get a and real... warms up by the fire. Yeah, and warms himself by the fire. And we get a real look at the difference in leadership here. We see that Lieutenant Dyke is a delegator. He's not really a leader. Whereas I feel like if this was Winters still leading Easy Company, he would have been going to find this stuff. You know, he would have sent guys to look for it, but he'd have gone too. Um, he wouldn't have just sent them off and said, report back to me when you get done. Um, what are your thoughts thus far on Lieutenant Dyke? What we've well, seen of some him. For, some obvious foreshadowing for what is to come, right? Yeah. I thought that was the best leadership that we saw of Dyke when he does give the orders to the other office, officer to gather the supplies. I, I don't see anything wrong in leadership by delegation. So in this scene, I thought that Winters chastised Dyke. Dyke then, you know, realizes that Winters is correct, and, and he, you know, gives the order to, you know, get whatever equipment and ammunition that they can get. But, yeah, that's about the, the high point for him as a leader. Did, did you catch the look on Winters' face when he gives that order? Did anybody really notice that? I did not. Yeah, I'm just, I was just curious as to what your interpretation of it would be. He, he, Winters just kind of looks at him like, and I can't tell if it's like a, okay, that wasn't bad, or like, that's not what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to go and take care of this personally, not send people to do it. So I can't really tell. Um, if you get a chance to kind of look back at it, just let me know your thoughts on it. Um, and so, uh, Easy Company, they, they go to Bastogne on trucks, and uh, you can tell that they don't have any ammo. They don't have winter gear. Uh, they're basically, you know, trying to scrounge up whatever ammunition and stuff that they can, they can get. And then, all of a sudden, we get a Jimmy Fallon cameo. He shows up in an in a army jeep full of ammunition, and he starts passing it out to the guys. And uh, what do you guys think about Jimmy Fallon popping up here? Uh, oh, there's a reason he became a TV host, not <laughs> not an Oscar nominee. Yeah, he sucks. It's the worst thirty seconds of acting in the entire series. I think that was a Tom Hanks mistake. That was probably a buddy of his that is a fan of, him a favor. of this, and just kind of trying to get him in there. It. It was definitely, of all the 10 episodes, the most misplaced. Just It just didn't feel right to the show. I, I don't know really how to explain it, but it, it didn't. It felt like I was watching something else. I mean, Jimmy's, you know, the peak of Jimmy's career was when he was in that taxi movie with Queen Latifah in terms of his acting ability. I, this was not the, the place for him. What do you mean? Fever Pitch isn't bad. Are we going to do a best Jimmy Fallon cameos or, like, movies? No. No. The, what, well, there's, is he, what, 
I don't know that I've ever seen him in a fever pitch. Get out of here. I don't know that I've ever seen one of his moves. The tip of your tongue fever pitch. Big time Red Sox guy. That Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, he is. So, you know, I don't necessarily think that the acting was horrible. I mean, it's not great, but it's not terrible. I think what really takes me out of it is that he doesn't come off as uh, a 1944 person, if that makes sense. Like, I see yes. him here, and I see him as Jimmy Fallon play, play, <laughs> yes. playing whatever he, his role was, not as that particular role. If that makes yeah, sense, just, you he, know? yeah, he just like he I'm just was himself. Fit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just like it was almost like watching him on the Tonight Show, and he just rolls in wearing some army fatigues and does a bit. That's kind of what Conan it felt O'Brien like. I'm in the German. Right, you know, Conan O'Brien's going to be an executive officer marching in here in a minute <laughs> saying, you know, I need you guys to go up the road. And He would do yeah, better than Jimmy do a parody. Conan, Conan is at least talented. Yeah. So, uh, so we get that Jimmy Fallon cameo in there. And then, um, you know, Easy's heading in to Bastone, and he, and he makes a comment to him, you know, Looks like you guys are going to be surrounded that the Germans just cut off the last road. And uh, Winters makes a comment, we're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. And so um, it, it lays the groundwork for the next episode, which in fact is called Bastone. And that's going to be episode number six. But Sean, Lance, Matt, will you, like Bone Thugs and Harmony, meet me at the crossroads? Matt. Yeah, um... I like this episode better than the last two. Um, I like that we're centered around winners, our, our core character there, and we're getting a lot of story and getting to see some of his frustrations as well as some of his uh, his high points as a character, right? Um, but again, we're setting up for some of my favorite episodes, you know, toward the end of the series here. And uh, so do I recommend? Yes, because it gets you ready for the next two, which are my two back-to-back that I like the most. All right, so I guess on a... Let's, let's do a, a one-to-five stars scale. How many stars are you give in this episode? Well, I gave Blythe one. I gave replacements three. Uh, two and a half. I, I got three on this one. Three stars for the crossroads. Lance? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Matt. I think I'll probably give this one three and a half stars. I'm taking half a star away for the Jimmy Fallon appearance. <laughs> um, you know, just can't stand that. But really great leadership shown on Winter's part. I do like, you know, we do, we kind of hit Tom Hanks up here for some of his director decisions between cutting back in the after action report and the battle. But I liked one of the things that you pointed out, Alex, which was that when Winters is in Paris, he doesn't say a word the entire time. Uh, that's just really great directing i think because he's so tense that he can't relax he can't enjoy he can't he's in paris he's single he's in paris he's an officer can't enjoy himself can't relax i thought they did a great job of showing that in that scene all right three and a half stars sean yeah for me uh i give this four stars and mainly it's because of winners. Uh, like I said, the last two episodes, we focused on some ancillary characters. And it was nice to get back to the heart of what this show's about. And, and it's about the NCOs and it's about winners. And to have an episode dedicated to him, it, it feels like it's been so long since we have 
and, and you just get to see his leadership. And to me, you know, you, you'd like to think that if you were in a combat situation, that, that you would be a guy like, like winners and, or have a guy like winners to lead you. And they do a really good job of, of showing his abilities in combat and then showing some of the things that, that he's not good at or doesn't necessarily enjoy. And that's the paperwork part and the part of losing easy company and, and just his struggles with, with finding some peace and some relaxation while in the middle of war, where that comes seems to come so easily for a lot of the guys. Uh, it doesn't come easy for winners. He's a complicated man in this episode, and Tom Hanks did a really good job of portraying that. So I think for me, this this episode is is indicative of what this series is at this point. We're at the halfway mark. Um, in this episode, we've talked about how it it jumps from the present and then it flashes back into the present again. It flashes back, and we get the same the same style through each episode. We get the the present day veterans at the beginning of each episode. And then of course it flashes back to what happened in the actual time period that, that the episodes are portraying. Um, but where the, where the series as a whole does a great job with that. I didn't like that in this episode. Um, I understood the flashback. It didn't confuse me. I just didn't like it because it just took me out of each scene. Now it put a nice bow on it with the administrative part of it. That's showing that Winters really didn't like the administration side of it. He wanted to be at the front with his men, so I, I appreciated that part of it. Um, but I just didn't like stylistically how it was done. I just feel like maybe there would have been another way they could have done it that would have showed he doesn't like the administration side of things. But, you know, maybe they did it also because I really didn't like the administrative part of things because every time they went to the administrative part of things, I was bored. I wanted to be at the front. I wanted to be on the front lines fighting with easy. So maybe it was done in a way that wanted to make me feel like winners felt. I didn't want to sit behind the desk. I didn't want to hear the keyboard. I didn't want to hear the typewriter clacking. I wanted to hear the guns going off and the mortars falling. And I wanted to be fighting on the front lines and getting that adrenaline boost of doing that. So because of that, I'm going to give this four stars. Um, we're really getting into the meat and potatoes of the series now. We've, we've, we've found our groove as we get into Bastogne. These are some of the best episodes in the series. And uh, we're going to see what happens with Easy Company as they fight in the Ardennes Forest and try to hold off um, kind of Hitler's last thrust before they fall back into Germany. So I'm looking forward as we move forward in, the, in this series to seeing what Easy Company is going to do, and most particularly what's going to happen with Lieutenant Win or now Captain Winters. So we hope you'll stick with us. We hope you're enjoying this. Reach out to us on social media. Let us know what you think about these episodes. If you have questions, we'd love to just hear from you and talk to you about it. We'll, we'll put a link up to the, the podcast episodes on social media, so you can just click right on that link to listen. And remember, whether you use Yen, Yal, or something else, there's always a place for you in our listening fan base. Peace.